Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Keep your Bibles open there to Proverbs chapter 1. That's our sermon passage this morning. Imagine what it would be like if, um, if God were to come to you and say, what shall I give to you? Name it. It'll be yours. What would you say to that question? Ask me for whatever you like, and I'll give it to you. You can think a lot of things, probably. Increase in your paycheck would be nice. Maybe a new house. Uh, maybe freedom, deliverance from some kind of health problem. Maybe a, a different job. Would you know that this exact dialogue, transaction, took place in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3 when God came to Solomon and said to Solomon that very thing. He said, Solomon, name it. What is it you want? What do you want from me? And do you remember what Solomon said in 1 Kings 3? I mean, he, he could have said a number of things. And God actually noted the things that Solomon didn't say. Solomon didn't ask for a long life. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for vengeance on his enemies. I think I heard somebody say what he did ask for. He asked for wisdom, didn't he? Solomon wanted wisdom. That was the thing that occurred to him first and foremost that he wanted from God. Wisdom. I mean, for how many of you would have wisdom been on the top of your list of requests to God? I saw this poll recently from uh, the Pew Research Center, January 2007. They were asking young people in their teens and 20s about their view of the future, and it had them list in order of priority their goals for the future, the things that they were hoping to achieve, the things that they were hoping to see happen in their lives. Number one goal, get rich. Number two, be famous. Number three, help people. It's a little better. <laughs> Number four, to be in a position of leadership somewhere. One thing I don't see on that list is any kind of expression of a desire for wisdom. There was at the very bottom of the list spirituality, the desire to be spiritual, but it's not quite the same as wanting to be wise. Friends, do you have a desire for wisdom today? Is that a priority for you? Is that a goal for you, to grow in wisdom? You know, one of the reasons this is so important is because we happen to live in a day and age when knowledge is so abundantly available to us, and I think some of us mistake the abundance of knowledge with an abundance of wisdom. I read the other day that on the Internet, the amount of information available there actually doubles every 72 hours. Every three days, the amount of information available at your fingertips on the Internet is, th is double what it was just three days prior. And so it's easy to think, well, I can go on the Internet. I can learn anything. I can read any kind of article. I can look up all kinds of words. I can go to Wikipedia and learn about any event and any person. And we think that because we can have the instant accessibility to all that information, that therefore we're wise people. But that would be a faulty conclusion to draw. An abundance of knowledge does not necessarily equal 
wisdom. Well, what we're doing here is uh, going through a sermon series at New Life. It's called Meet God, as it says on the screen. We're looking at the attributes of God one Sunday at a time. We're almost done with this series. We have one more to go. Next week, we'll talk about God is gracious, talk about the grace of God. But today, we're talking about the wisdom of God. This is another attribute of God, that God is wise. And we have here in Proverbs these opening verses, first seven verses in this book of Proverbs that is a book of wisdom. And you'll look at verse 1 and you'll see that these Proverbs have written, been written by Solomon. Solomon is the son of David. This is King David from Israel. We looked a lot at the life of David a, a while ago when we went through our sermon series on 1 Samuel. And that uh, uh, David and Solomon both, they were kings of Israel, and these Proverbs were written probably about a thousand years before the coming of Christ. Uh, but what we have here is the beginning of this central book in the Bible giving to us wisdom. And this is what we're going to be thinking about here today, wisdom in three ways. We're going to think about the wisdom of God, the wisdom that God possesses. Then we'll think about wisdom for godly living, for you and me. And then we'll talk about the wisdom of God's gospel. Okay, So those three things. So first of all, the wisdom of God. Thinking here about wisdom as an attribute of God, as something that God possesses. Now, I think we see that in verse 7, this very well-known verse. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, it actually says in the ESV. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, in the book of Proverbs, the words wisdom and knowledge, they're used very closely. They're kind of almost interchangeably used. For instance, if you go to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, this verse is basically repeated with one switch there with the word knowledge. Chapter 9, 10, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we see in these first few verses that wisdom, or the word wise, is repeated in basically every verse except one. So the theme of these first few verses clearly is wisdom. And the question that we all have is, how do we get it? And what verse 7 says is it begins with an attitude of your heart. It begins with the way you look at God. That's where wisdom starts. It starts with the fear of the Lord, it says. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to fear God? I've talked about this in the past, I think, on several occasions. We don't believe that to fear God properly means you're just always trembling in fear and running away and thinking that God's about to strike you down because he's so angry at you. That's not what this means by the fear of God. This is written to the covenant community. This is written to believers. And as believers, we know that the love of the gospel has driven out fear. We don't fear God in in, in that way. We're not afraid that God's going to strike us down. We're forgiven in Jesus. We don't have to fear that kind of response from God. But there is a proper kind of fear to have, and I think the kind of fear in mind here is like a certain kind of reverence and and awe for God. Maybe kind of the way you look at the ocean or the sea. You you go to the beach and you see the ocean, and it's it's beautiful and it's vast, and there's something inviting about it, and you're kind of, you know, you want to look at it. You might even want to go get in it and swim in it. There's something that draws you, but at the same time, isn't it true that there's something just a little bit scary about the ocean? There's something about it that brings out an attitude of of reverence and awe, and that's appropriate. Um, And I think that's kind of the idea here. Uh, We're drawn to the Lord, but we have a certain kind of reverence 
and awe. But what's implicit in verse 7 here is that this is where wisdom begins in the fear that we have of him. But what's implicit here is that in order to get wisdom, it has to come from the proper source. And that proper source is the Lord. It's God. God is the fount and source of all wisdom and all knowledge. If we want to be wise people, we have to get it from him. And the Bible says in a number of other places that God is wise. Romans 16, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And in 1 Corinthians 1, for since in the wisdom of God, God is wise, the world did not know God through its own wisdom. It pleased God then through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. God has just worked out this way that the world in all of its own self-generated wisdom, thinking that it's going to come to know God, actually ended up lost. And the way that God was pleased to save people is through something that the world considers foolish. That is, a person standing in a pulpit proclaiming the gospel, (laughs) preaching Jesus to people, and calling them to place faith in what Jesus has done. That's, That's the wisdom of God. That's how God's worked it out. That's how he's going to build his kingdom. That's how he's going to build his church. It doesn't seem like a very wise way to do it. It seems foolish in the eyes of the world, but this is how God does it. See, this is all coming from the wisdom of God. So let me just define God's wisdom like this. This is something I've been trying to do is to give definitions to all these attributes. Here's how I define God's wisdom. It's that God always brings the best results and always does so through the best possible means. Wayne Grudem defines it that way. God always brings about the best results in all situations, and that includes in your lives and everything that's going on in your life right now. God is bringing the best results, and he's also choosing the best means to get it done. That's the wisdom of God. Now, what's kind of tricky about this is that as we look at our lives and we look at the way our lives are unfolding, It doesn't always seem that way, does it? It doesn't always seem like wisdom is governing and directing the affairs of our lives. And in fact, if you look at verse 6, I think this is really interesting. At the end of verse 6, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, it says in verse 6. Wisdom often comes in the form of of riddles, in things that seem confusing, in puzzles, in peculiar ways. God's wisdom unfolds in our lives in a way that is very often different than the way we would expect. Isn't that true? I mean, if you're an older person, I'm guessing that you're probably in a place in your life that you probably never guessed you'd be. For a lot of people, maybe most people, that's, that's probably the situation. I can tell you, as I've told you many times before, I certainly never thought I'd be a pastor of a church. I never anticipated that. But I look back at some parts of my life, and I see that certain things just don't seem to make much sense. You know, I worked a job for 10 years at the Indiana Manufacturers Association, and <clears throat> that was a time where I felt like I was just kind of languishing I had no real 
interest in what I was doing. I had no passion for it. I didn't have any particular aptitude for what I was doing. I mean, I was just counting the days until retirement. And, you know, the Lord worked in my life, put in my heart a desire to go to seminary. I went to seminary, now I'm a pastor. I love being a pastor. I love being in ministry. And I look back at those 10 years, and I just think, what, why did God put me on an island for 10 years? I, I just feel like, vocationally anyway, I mean, one of the best things about those 10 years, I met my wife. So God did good things during that time. But in terms of my job, I just, it just seemed like a waste of time to me. Here's, here's the truth. It's God is wise. His ways are wiser and higher than ours, and very often his ways in our lives defy our expectations and seem to be inscrutable and beyond tracing out. And here's how <clears throat> J.I. Packer says it. Uh, in his book, Knowing God, he's written a couple chapters there that I recommend to you about the wisdom of God that are very good. He says, The truth is that God, in his wisdom, to make and keep us humble, and to teach us to walk by faith, has hidden from us almost everything that we should like to know about the providential purposes he's working out in the churches and in our lives. In God's wisdom, not only does he do things in kind of unexpected ways, but he doesn't tell us what he's doing. And what Packer is saying is that that is part of the wisdom of God. You know, I wonder sometimes if God did tell us, if he did reveal to us his providential purposes, I, I'm not so sure that that would really help. Because <laughs> if we really knew what he was doing, I think there's part of us that would still resist the wisdom of God. We'd still resist what he's doing because we want what we want right now, and we're all convinced that we know what's best for us right now at this time. You know, as an example of this, when, when I was 12 years old, and I was approaching my 13th birthday, I decided that I wanted to go to see the Allman Brothers perform live at Market Square Arena in downtown Indianapolis. I'm 12 years old. <laughs> so I go to my dad and I say, you know, I'd really love to go to this concert. Well, my dad didn't seem to think that was such a wise idea. But I just couldn't see what the problem was. I mean, it seemed like such an easy thing. Uh, I complained, I whined, I argued, and I got my way. And I got to go to the concert. So a couple friends and I, we went down to Market Square Arena. We saw the show, got done, we came out. We were standing out downtown Indianapolis waiting for my dad to pick us up. And we got robbed, got mugged. My two friends and I, we got our money taken, we got our wallets taken, we got our Watches taken. We got taken back into a back alley. My friends got thrown in trash dumpsters. <laughs> I mean, it might not be quite as bad as what I'm saying. None of us got injured. But, you know, it was a terrifying time. I remember thinking, I'm going to die. After that experience, I look back and I think, okay, I think I see the wisdom of my father. <laughs> I think I see why he didn't want me to go. But at the time, it just wasn't, a, it wasn't clear to me. It just was seemed the height of absurdity that my dad wouldn't allow me to go to this concert. You know, I just think that's the way it is with our relationship with God. There's so many things that he's doing in our lives. They seem absurd to us. They seem confusing to us. But behind it all is the wisdom of a great and mighty God who knows what he's doing. 
And that's where we have to find comfort even when we don't know what's going on. This is what Paul says in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. It's that way with the gospel. It's that way in our daily lives as well. So it's the wisdom of God. The wisdom as a possession or attribute of God. But the second thing we want to think about here is wisdom for godly living. Okay, do you see the difference here? I'm talking on the first point about God's wisdom, and now we're going to talk about wisdom as you and I, as God's people, seek to live in this world and apply wisdom. Um, so we might say that wisdom can be defined like this. From our point of view, it's skill in the art of godly living. I think it's a good, short, concise definition. It's being skillful in living in a godly way. Or we might say it's knowledge put into practice in a way that's pleasing to God. Knowledge put into practice. There's a difference there between knowledge and wisdom, right? You can have knowledge but not know how to put it in practice. Knowledge and wisdom, not the same thing. For example, you might have a lot of facts and figures in your head that you can use to win an argument. You know, you have a lot of knowledge, but it takes wisdom to know when to abandon the quarrel. It takes wisdom to know whether you ought to press this or not, or whether you ought to be quiet. Maybe this is the time when you're not going to get the last word. It takes wisdom to know that. Maybe you've gone to school. You've developed a certain skill or expertise in a trade. You've gained a lot of knowledge. You know how to do something really well, and you're making a lot of money at it. That is a result of of the knowledge that you have. But it takes wisdom to know what to do with that money. It takes wisdom to know that you should be giving it away, that you should be generous to others, that you should be helping the poor, that you ought to be parting with your money and giving it to your church. It's the fool that just hoards money for himself or herself. It's wisdom that moves us to give it away. There's a difference. How about knowing the facts of the gospel? There's a certain knowledge that comes with that. We know what the Bible says about what Jesus did. He went on, died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. He did that to save people who are, um, who are dead in their transgressions, who are separated from God. We know the facts of the gospel. That's knowledge. But it takes wisdom to know when you present that to a person, when you talk to a person about the gospel. It's not always appropriate to talk about Jesus. It's not always appropriate. There are some times when you shouldn't go there. And it takes wisdom to know the difference. You know, it's possible for a person to know a lot and be foolish, and it's possible for a person to not know much and be really wise. You know, as an example of that, two friends that I can think of that I have. One guy got a 4-0 at Ball State, 4-0 GPA, very high scores on his SAT. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever known. And he has no fear of God whatsoever. I have another friend from St. Louis. Um, he's never been to college. He'll never go to college. He is limited intellectually 
to the point when, where he will probably never do a job other than the one that he has right now, which is just kind of gathering golf balls on a driving range in St. Louis. And yet he is a man who fears God. He knows Jesus and he loves Jesus. So I've given you these two people. Which one is wise? The guy who's got the 4.0 has no fear of God. To the degree that he is despising the wisdom of the gospel, he's a fool. And here's my other friend, wise in the spirit because of his relationship with his Savior. Well, what we have in the book of Proverbs are a collection of very clear, practical instruction for how we can put into practice the art of godly living. And we see this in these first few these first few verses um, in verses 1 through 7. Just notice kind of how, how practical a lot of these instructions are. Verse 2, these Proverbs are giving so that we can know wisdom and instruction, words of insight. Uh, why? So we can receive, receive instruction in wise dealing, so that as we're dealing with people, we can do it in wisdom, so that we can pursue what's right, what's just, what's, what's with equity, that is what's fair. We're just talking about basic personal relationships here, how to relate to people in a righteous and fair way. Uh, verse 4 talks about giving discretion to the youth. Uh, no disrespect to those of you who are younger, but it's generally regarded that younger people tend to lack wisdom. But what this verse is saying is that by giving yourself to the Proverbs and the wisdom of God, even a young person can gain great discretion and be wise. Uh, verse 5, the one who understands obtains guidance, it says. Obtains guidance. We, we get direction from the wisdom of God so that we know how to navigate our way through this world. We can make good decisions about who we marry and who we hang out with and where we go to school and how we spend our time. We're guided well by the wisdom of God. And we see here also that this wisdom is for, it's for everybody. Verse 4, give prudence to the simple, that is the, the naive and the gullible. They need wisdom. I think we'd all agree with that. But look at verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Even the wise need wisdom. You never get to a point when you've arrived and you have no more need of wisdom. And if you think that you have gotten to that point, it just shows how foolish you are. The simple need wisdom and the wise need wisdom. We all need wisdom at all times and all periods throughout our lives. And so that's how Proverbs, Solomon here as he's writing Proverbs, kind of sets things up in these first seven verses. And then throughout the rest of the book of Proverbs, we'll find all of these really clear, practical, down-to-earth instructions about how to grow in the skill and the art of godly living. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the Bible is not practical. I'm going to show you an example of some of these things. This is just kind of like a broad overview of, of Proverbs and some of the areas that Proverbs speaks to the most. For instance, speech. So much in the Proverbs about the way we talk and the way we speak. And here's Proverbs 15:28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Now, the heart of the righteous might have the knowledge. That person might know the answer, but it's wise for a person who knows the answer to ponder how he's going to answer. 
to, to delay, to ponder, to think about it, to ask some questions like, is this thing that I'm about to say true? Is, is it going to be kind? Is it going to be respectful? Is it really necessary? And do I really have a right to say it? Given my history with this person, given what I know, given what this person thinks of me, just given the circumstances, do I have a right to say this at this time? And that's a lot to think about. But that's what the righteous person does, ponders. That's wisdom. How about wisdom in handling of money? Proverbs speaks a lot about that. We might be able to sum it up in, in four ways. Number one, earn it honestly. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. It's good to begin with, but afterward his mouth is going to be full of gravel. It's not going to work out very well in the long run. Earn, earn your money honestly, Proverbs 20 says. Manage your money prudently. Proverbs 27 says, Know well the condition of your flocks. Give attention to your herds. Flocks, herds, that was the equivalent of wealth that a person would have in this culture. What Solomon is saying is know what you have. Know how many flocks you have. Give attention to the condition of your herds. Pay attention to your resources. The contemporary application would probably be balance your checkbook. Know how much money you have. Know where it's going. Manage your money prudently. Give your money generously. Proverbs 11, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. There's one of those kind of riddles. Isn't that odd that the more you give, the richer you get? That doesn't seem right, does it? Seems kind of counterintuitive, but in the wisdom of God, that's the way it works. Give generously. And then lastly, enjoy it gratefully. The crown of the wise is their wealth. The wisdom of Proverbs does not demonize money. It doesn't say that money is our problem. Look in the New Testament, we see it's the love of money that's our problem. But here in Proverbs 14, we see the crown of the wise is their wealth. The result of wise living very often is the acquisition of money and wealth. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. That's something to be enjoyed. Enjoy money gratefully, even as you give it generously and manage it prudently and earn it honestly. Wisdom from Proverbs and how you deal with money. How about child rearing? Wisdom in raising children. This is here in the scriptures as well, in the Proverbs. Proverbs 13 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. You know, we live in a culture that's very, very suspicious about any kind of discipline of children. But here's the Proverbs and the wisdom of God saying, you spare the rod, you withdraw discipline from your child. That's a way of hating your child. The way to love your child is to discipline him. Now, we've got to reflect more on wisdom. How does that take place? Well, again, that's wisdom, right? For instance, how do you discipline a child? Well, moderately, number one. Not over the top, not in a brutal way. Punishment should be moral. That is, it should be based on either what God has said in His Word or at least based on some kind of rules of the household that have been set up and are commonly known. If a child breaks a rule that is commonly known, it would be appropriate to inflict punishment. But just because a child annoys you, 
because you happen to be cranky that day, that, that's not a reason to punish a child. Punishment should be moral. But also punishment should be memorable. It ought to get through to the kid. The kid ought to remember what has happened. And that should be adjusted depending on the sensitivity of the child. But clearly in the wisdom of God, it's appropriate for parents to discipline their children. One more thing. How about with friendship? A lot of Proverbs giving us wisdom in how to make friends and keep friends. How to be a good friend. What does it say? Well, constancy. It's important to being a good friend. A friend loves at all times, not just when things are good, but when things are bad as well. Candor. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 27, 6 says sometimes what we need is a friend to speak to us bluntly. Even though it wounds us, even though it hurts us, even though it's hard to hear, that's what a good friend does. That's what you should do as a good friend to others. It's not a good friend to put the stamp of approval on everything your friends say and want to do. Constancy, candor, counsel, the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel, Proverbs 27 says. Here, again, is how we grow in our wisdom. We surround ourselves with friends who are wise, and we receive their counsel. We listen. We seek it out. And then lastly, consideration. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. You know, you got somebody who's weighted down, they're depressed, they're sad, they're carrying all kinds of burdens, and you come in singing, you know, don't worry, be happy. That's annoying. That's inconsiderate. That's a way to drive away a friend. That's what the meaning of that proverb is. So friends, let no one say the Bible is not practical. There are all kinds of nuggets of wisdom that are here in the book of Proverbs so that you can grow in the skill and the art of godly living. So one last thing, we've got to look at the wisdom of God's gospel. The wisdom of God's gospel. Let's go back to thinking about Solomon here. It says in verse 1, again, the Proverbs of Solomon. Let me share with you another story of Solomon. 1 Kings 10, the Queen of Sheba comes to talk to Solomon. You remember that story? She comes because she's heard about how wise Solomon is. She's heard about all that this man possesses. And so the Queen of Sheba comes and she talks to Solomon. And as she asks Solomon questions, as she hears this man's answers, what she says is, you know what, Solomon? You're twice as wise as I've been told. I've only been told half of the wisdom that you actually possess. And later in that chapter, it says the whole earth, the whole earth would come to behold the wisdom of Solomon, to listen to this man, to ask him questions. They would bring him silver and gold and spices and horses. So impressed they were with the wisdom of this man. Solomon was the wisest man on all the earth. Now you go forward to Matthew chapter 12. And here's Jesus, Jesus Christ, and he's speaking to his Pharisees, to the Pharisees. And he says this, something greater than Solomon is here. Who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. Jesus is saying, 
someone greater, someone even wiser than Solomon is standing in your midst, Pharisees. The Son of God, the Messiah is here. He has come. And his wisdom blows away the wisdom of Solomon, even as wise as that man was. Here's what it says in Colossians 2. Paul exhorts us here to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Proverbs, we have God's wisdom in written form. In Jesus, we have God's wisdom in divine human form. And this is good news for anybody here, including myself, who, after hearing all of these practical, wise instructions, feels a little bit like a fool. I mean, I look back at my life, and I see a lot of the decisions that I've made, and I feel like a fool. And I'm so grateful that my salvation is not based on a list of wise decisions that I've made. I am so relieved by that. I'm so grateful for that. Here's how John Piper says it. It's just so wonderful. I've said this to you before, but it just bears repeating. The wisdom of God has derived a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. That, that's the wisdom of God. You will never behold God's wisdom more profoundly than you will when you peer into the depths of the gospel in everything that God has done in planning for our salvation in sending his son and all that Jesus did in fulfillment of the law and what his shed blood accomplished in turning away the wrath of God and in all that is promised to us in his glorious resurrection. That is the wisdom of God profoundly displayed for any who will take it and receive it and love it and believe it. So let me ask you, friends, today, I'm going to ask you again the same question I asked at the beginning. Do you want wisdom? Do you? Where do you go to get it? First place you go is to Jesus. You go to Jesus. You receive him. You believe upon him. You, you read about Jesus and how Jesus is revealed to us in his word. You hang around with people who love Jesus and follow Jesus and know Jesus and can help you grow in your knowledge of Jesus. That, that's the way you get this. And, and you ask for it. Have you ever asked for wisdom? Have you ever gone to God and said, Lord, please increase my wisdom? If not, maybe it's because you don't really want it. I heard this story. It's told of Socrates. I'm not sure if this is actually true. Maybe Dr. Spiegel can help me with this, but here's the story told. Socrates is standing there. A proud man comes to him and says, Socrates, I want wisdom. So Socrates takes the man down to a river or a lake, and he plunges the guy underneath the water and then pulls him up and says, what is it that you said you wanted? And he says, I want wisdom. So Socrates takes him and puts him back under the water again, plunges him underneath, holds him down for just a little longer, then brings him back up and says, now what is it that you said you wanted? The guy says, I want wisdom. Socrates gets him, plunges him back 
beneath the water again, holds him down this time even longer, just holds him down there for a little while until he starts struggling, brings him up again. The guy's gasping. Socrates says, what is it that you want? And the guy says, I want air. And Socrates says, when you want wisdom like you want air, you'll get it. Do you want wisdom? Here's the promise from the Scriptures. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all, and it will be given. Let's pray. Lord, we do acknowledge that you are wise. Your ways with us have been wise. And in your gospel... Your wisdom is most fully displayed. God, we thank you. We praise you. We pray, Lord, that you would grant us wisdom, that we might live in this world in a way that pleases you. And we ask that you would forgive us for all of our foolishness, and we thank you that in Jesus, grace is abundantly available to us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.